Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 8 in Daniel chapter 3. And let's begin by reading verse 15 through 18. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And I'll stop reading there. Now, we've been looking at this for some time, and uh, in our last study we saw that uh, God's people spiritually cannot be burned. They cannot be destroyed by uh, the wicked or by anyone, because God has saved them. And has given them eternal life. But physically, physically in this world, yes, we can be burned. There were a great many people um, just a few hundred years ago that were burned at the stake. And we can die in this world. And that's really where the threat lies as far as the enemies of the kingdom of God as they seek to intimidate and seek to threaten God's people. It, it's in the physical realm that um, there could possibly be a danger. And also in the religious um, arena uh, as, as um, well, there could be when someone becomes a child of God and and God saved them, a part of that great multitude that came out of great tribulation, and they had to leave their particular religion, maybe the Muslim religion, and that religion makes threats and and also indicates if you leave, you, you won't go to heaven, and, and that's a threat in, in itself. Or within the Christian church, the, the apostate church of our time, the church age that God ended, yet the church refuses to recognize those things, they can make threats. They can make charges and accusations and, and say that, uh, if, if you leave us or, or if you believe these kinds of things, uh, it, it is, uh, uh, indicative that you're under the wrath of God and, and they can, pronounce their condemnations against the people of God. But 
insofar as the soul of the child of God goes, the our spiritual condition in our soul, once God saves us, we're born again, and we have eternal life, and nothing can harm us. Nothing can ultimately um, damage or injure the soul of the child of God in any way. And, of course, um, that fact gives the true believer tremendous confidence, and it gave Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego tremendous confidence, even in uh, what many people would consider to be the worst um, kind of situation possible, the very real threat by a vicious king with um, the power of a kingdom behind him, you will do this or you will die a horrible death. You will be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. We we can understand that it is due to their spiritual condition that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, since they were saved, were able to say what they did say to the king and basically... They said to the king, there's two possibilities, O king, as we, we must refuse you. We cannot obey your command because your command goes contrary to the command of God and his word. And, and therefore there, there's no option for us cause. Now, this is important. It's not because of the, anything in their upbringing. That, that these three young men who were raised right and, and maybe if other people raised their children right, they would be as courageous. No, it has nothing to do with that. All Babylon was falling down except for these three. And certainly amongst that great number of people in Babylon falling down, there had to be some people who were raised in a correct way, a proper way concerning courage and honor, and yet they were still falling down. The only reason these three did not had to do with their spiritual condition, it had to do with God making a change inwardly, saving their soul, and giving them an ongoing desire to do the will of God, an intense desire to do the will of God, uh, wherein in good conscience they could not deny the word of God, uh, the, the commandments of God that says you shall not bow down nor serve other gods. And, and, and so uh, based on the change that God had made, based on the, the spirit of God that was within them, and and was uh, uh, strengthening them and and giving them the will to do this and and remember what the new testament says that the people of god um accomplish things they they perform things they're able to do things because it is god that uh moves within them to will 
and to do of his good pleasure. And certainly it was God's spirit operating within these men to will that they take this stand, to will that they follow through no matter the consequence that they continue seeking to do the will of God, upholding the the word of God, and refusing the king. And since the Spirit of God directed them in this way, they had two options, and they told the king both options. The first option, when there's a determination to do it God's way, and 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 when you make this determination there may be consequences and there often are consequences and and so they said we're not careful to answer thee in this matter they've counted the cost uh, in other words they've considered these consequences if it be so verse 17 says our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They took consideration of the the God um, of Israel, of the God that they serve, of the God whose they were and belonged to, and they realized that the, the God that they served, the God of Israel, was all-powerful, almighty. And, of course, being faithful Jews, they would have been familiar with the history of Israel. They would have been familiar with God's mighty working to deliver Israel out of Egypt and, and just all of the tremendous power that he demonstrated in uh, bringing the plagues upon Egypt and bringing the mighty army of the Egyptians uh, to destruction and Pharaoh to his knees. And, well, we we don't have to recount uh, all of the many true historical facts that the Bible records concerning um, the, the falling of walls like in Jericho, the 185,000 men of the Assyrian army that had encompassed Jerusalem and yet were all dead men in the morning. Uh, um, just, Just miracle after miracle. And a miracle is a display of the mighty power of God as at that time God could potentially break the barrier of the supernatural. He had shown that, uh, yes, he would do that on occasion. He would work for his people. He would fight for his people against the enemy. And he he could um, do so and, 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 again, break the barrier of the supernatural and show himself. And this is in the time... Well, about 600 and so BC or, or 600 years before the birth of Christ, roughly, and, and over 600 years before the Bible would be completed. 
And it was only at the point when the Bible was completed that God determined no longer to break the barrier of the supernatural. He no longer would do things as as he had done, like giving water out of a rock or raining down manna from heaven or the many ways that he fought for his people that we read about in the Bible, uh, uh, like parting the Red Sea or parting the River Jordan. No, God uh, determined once the Bible was completed, no longer to break that barrier. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were living in a time when it was still possible for God to intercede in the affairs of men in the physical world and to act on behalf of his people. And and so they recognized that as a legitimate option. And, and so it, if it be so, that is, if it be according to the will of God, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. And... And so they took that into account. They remember, well, again, just just uh, all previous biblical history. When the people of God would humble themselves and beseech the Lord, and Isaiah spread out the letter of the Assyrians before God and, and, and besought God that he would help Jerusalem. And he did. And, and God... Uh, oftentimes came to the aid of his people. And of course, God, uh, we should point this out, even though by the end of the first century AD, the Bible is completed and God no longer intercedes by breaking that supernatural barrier. He will no longer uh, show himself in, in that kind of way and perform miracles to help his people. Yet we, we also have to recognize that God still helps his people in the New Testament age. He, he still fights for his people. He still is on their side. They still um throughout the church age and and into the great tribulation into our present time the people of god could still pray and and beseech god oh lord help me when enemies rose up and god oftentimes did help only the the manner in which god helped in the new testament age was different than the manner he could potentially help uh, in in the time before the Bible was completed. That is, God in our time, even in this day of judgment, can help someone. He can help one of his people through the working of circumstances and events and and the way things unfold. He can help in various ways that that we're not really familiar with. Only God will not help by um, supernaturally causing a wall to fall down or, or by parting a sea. He will not perform those kinds of miracles, but he still was God and powerful and almighty and always with an eye upon his elect 
always with an eye to show himself strong on their behalf. And, and when they would cry out to him, and, and so, yes, we do need to keep that in mind, that, that God still help and, and still helps his people at really at all times. But in the days of before the Bible was completed, there was an additional way that God could help and intervene. And it was that he would show his power very dramatically to the natural man. And the natural man could see God work in the physical arena as he would do mighty miracles. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have taken that into account in, in their prayer. In the, they've considered this very situation. And they realize God may help us. And, you know, that gives hope. That gives hope all by itself. God may help us. They're, they're not being proud and arrogant or demanding in any way and saying, God, you must help us. You, you must save us from this burning fiery furnace. You, you, you cannot allow us to enter in there. And sometimes you hear people who speak arrogantly like that as though they can order God around and, and they can make him uh, work on their behalf. And n- no, no way. They're servants. That's why uh, uh, they they point out our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. They're properly recognizing their position, their role before God. They're not the one in charge. They're, they're not the one who can order God around and tell him what to do. They're only lowly servants of God. And so they state that and declare it. We are God's servants. Yet God looks out even for his servants and it's possible. And so we're going to let you know this, O King, concerning this possibility that God is able to deliver us. You know, it says in uh, Job 42, and the word able is found there. It's translated as uh, kenst in Job 42, says in verse 1, Then Job answered Jehovah, and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. That is, I know that thou art able to do everything. That's what Job is saying to God. God is able. All things are possible with him. We read in the New Testament, he possesses the necessary power, and it's obvious since he spoke a word and the whole world came into existence, the whole universe came into existence, just countless stars and planets and, and the sun, moon and stars and, and all the creatures that God created to populate the earth. 
mankind created in his image. When, when we look at the earth itself, we see mighty oceans and the, the wonders of the creation all around us, all a result of a spoken word of God. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be, and there was. And so here we are, and, and here these three young men were, in their uh, difficult situation, and we may have difficult situations uh, ourselves, and we know God has the ability. He can help us. That's a certainty. That That's definite. There's no question God has the power to help. That, that uh, no matter how bleak our situation, how seemingly impossible it is, and really if we look at their situation in Babylon, it, it was about as impossible as anything could be. They, there was no way they could fight their way out. They, they couldn't pull swords and, and do battle. The, the, a whole army, a mighty army of the Chaldeans would have destroyed them. They, they couldn't run away and, and escape. They would have been pursued and found. This is why everyone bowed down. Uh, the people who, who, uh, took in the whole situation and, and they perceived there's no way out. There's no escape. There's no human way to avoid doing what the king wants. There, there's, they don't see option A. They don't see uh, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw, that our God is able to deliver us. Of course, people who are not saved do not perceive that option. They do not look into um, the heavens. They do not look into the spiritual uh, realm and and see God, who is a spirit, see him by faith and see his power. And, and, and so it's as though they're blind to that option. All they can see is what, they say next in Daniel 3, in verse 18, but if not, that is, if God does not deliver us, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And the natural-minded individual, he only sees option B, if not. He completely rules out, he doesn't even consider or think about in a realistic way uh, uh, option a that god will deliver he goes right to the second option and the the second possibility he sees that as the only possibility that that the king will follow through with what he will do and it will destroy me i will die I will cease to exist. Really, I will burn up is, is what the natural-minded person is thinking. And since the natural-minded individual has everything invested 
in in living in this world. This is his inheritance. This is where his treasure is. This is everything to him because he has no eternity to come, no eternal life, no dwelling in the presence of God in a new heaven and new earth, no abounding spiritual riches forevermore. He has none of that. And, and, and so this present world, though evil, this present life, though he's living in a corrupt body, in a corrupt world, is everything to the natural individual. And so we can see why they uh, they would um, uh, bend their convictions. They, they, they would bow down. They, 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 they would do so even though it's dishonorable, even though it shows um, their fear and lack of courage. And yet they want to preserve the only life that they identify with the only existence they're sure of, and and so they bow the knee. They will serve this evil king and his kingdom and do what he wants them to do. Actually, they see option B of being thrown into the fire, but they don't see option B the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego viewed that option. First of all, we know that the child of God sees a real possibility. God will help. God will deliver. And and that gives the believer, the true believer, confidence and hope and and strengthens them in some way. But then even with the second choice, even with uh, the fact that, all right, if God does not decide to deliver us, if it's not according to the will of God, and and the true believer takes this into account also, because we don't always know what God's perfect will is. All All we do know is that whatever happens will be according to his perfect will, it will be what God intended, and, and and therefore we accept it. We don't fight against it. We humble ourselves under it, and yet we don't always know what God's perfect will will be or how it's going to work out. And and so the three young men were saying, God is able to deliver us, but He may not. And yet, if he does not deliver us, that is, rescue us somehow from the fire, and and instead we're thrown into that fire, as, as you are saying, O king, and if that happens, very well, very well, we will still not serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And again, they could say this because, and only because, they're true believers. Because they view the second option differently than the unsaved person. 
than the person of the world, the natural-minded individual. Again, to the unsaved person, it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen to them. Not just to die by fire, but to die, to cease to exist, to be no more. In that very day, their thoughts perish. They're, they're cut off. Um, their, their life is gone. They'll never live again. And their inheritance is taken from them. They've lost their treasure. They, they have no more possessions. They have no more anything forever. Of course, some unsaved and natural-minded people um, deceive themselves into thinking they'll be in heaven and they will have life in, in a distorted kind of a way. But the reality is they do not. Deep down, they, they know in all likelihood that's the case that because they deep down know they're in trouble with God. And so they don't see the possibility that Shirek, Meshach, and Abednego saw, which was very well, if it's the will of our God, if it's God's will not to deliver us as he has on occasion delivered his people in other trying circumstances, um, and, and we know he's the same God and could do that, but if not, very well, that's his perfect will. We will accept it, and yet we still will be victorious. We still will win. You know, the truth is, and this is the truth, that the world, of course, doesn't understand and would never recognize. And I don't know, uh, maybe religions of... Uh, other religions wouldn't recognize, but but the truth is, and this is the truth the Bible presents um, to the child of God only. This this is it belongs to God's people. It does not belong to anyone else because only God's people are truly saved. The truth is that God's people cannot help but win that God's people cannot help but be victorious in the end. The world loses. And, and you know, the world likes to portray itself as being the victor. And, of course, Satan likes to portray himself especially as being the winner. Oh, and, and, and there are times in the history of the world... As God's program, his salvation and now judgment program unfolded at various points according to God's schedule of times and seasons, in which there is an appearance that Satan wins or the enemies of God win. Uh, For instance, we could go back to the time of the cross and where there was that period during Jesus's ministry when the kingdom of God uh, was spectacular. The, all these miracles were being shown to all people. Uh, Christ was healing and giving sight to the blind, ears to the deaf, legs to the lame, life to the dead. He actually raised the dead before the very eyes of people 
and and the words that he spoke, it was a glorious time, triumphant for the kingdom of heaven. And then, though, the enemies of God rose up and, and the leaders of Israel um, conspired against Christ and and had a, held a council and, and found him guilty and turned him over to the Roman authorities to be crucified. And the uh, Roman governor Pilate had no option because all the people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And the forces of the world were working with the evil forces within the corporate body or the corporate church of that time, Israel, and and all confederate, all together against the the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and they managed to slay him on the cross. And Christ was crucified, and and even the very sun went dark. So everything turned from a wonderful, victorious, triumphant time period, uh, at least to the outward observer, to the apostles, as they went around as the Lord Jesus ministered for those three and a half years, to about as dark and terrible a time that could be imagined. Uh, There was the Savior, there was God in the flesh, Emmanuel hanging on the cross, the sun was even darkened, and everything just, just seemed as though it was nothing but a a huge defeat. The enemy had won. Satan had won. He was victorious. And you see, that's how it appeared. Just like it appeared on May 21, 2011. That God permits those types of appearances. But we know on the third day, early Sunday morning, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead victorious and and then he encouraged his people by showing himself at times during that 40 day period after the cross and then came after that the day of pentecost and 3000 became saved and, and and so god's program continued satan can have an appearance of times of winning and certainly when god loosed him at the end of the church age May 21, 1988, the day before Pentecost, and he loosed him, and Satan entered into the corporate church, took his seat as the man of sin, and began ruling over the congregations of the world, and and began to rule over the nations of the world in a way uh, that he had never done before, and uh, it's what we're reading about, really, here in Daniel 3, the, it, it's a historical parable of the time of the Great Tribulation when uh, Satan, typified by the king of Babylon, would rule over the mighty kingdom of all the nations and even over the corporate church. And uh, again, he won. He overcame the camp of the saints. He was the overcomer the victor, the winner, the one triumphant. And 
wherever you turned in the world for 23 years, from 1988 to May 21, 2011, it, it was Satan winning, Satan overcoming. And, and again, the people of God could wonder, but, but God told us to expect this, to be prepared for it. And then on May 21, 2011, he was defeated. That's why it's so important for us to understand that. Christ is triumphant. Christ is the winner of the spiritual battle that has raged throughout all history. Christ won the war. And and Satan has been deposed and put down. And the whole kingdom of Satan has fallen. Babylon is fallen. Now is not the time when the world wins any longer. The world is suffering defeat at the hands of God. They are being spiritually destroyed over the course of this prolonged time period. And it is the case with the people of God that because only we're, we're aligned with God himself, that we always win in Christ. We always win. You, you could look at um, two individuals. Pick any two individuals you want. You, you could pick a billionaire and, and look at his life. And, and you see a life of riches, comfort, and ease. He has just a, a, a tremendous yacht and many homes, mansions, and uh, everything in his fingertips, all the modern technology. Uh, he, he has everything and anything a person could desire, uh, the best food, the best doctors, the best clothing, and, and everyone is respectful of him and speaks well of him because that's what men tend to do to the rich. They speak roughly to the poor. And and so this individual has it all. He has won, hasn't he? He's won life. He's He's won the battle of life. He is victorious because he's super rich and he has everything a man could want. And then you have... Uh, just a, a poor individual who suffers along day by day, trying to get by. And th- that individual is a child of God. The first individual, the billionaire, is not. But the child of God goes through many hardships, many difficulties. If it's not one thing, it's another. He struggles to pay his bills. He uh, maybe ha- has physical illness and doesn't have uh, sufficient funds for medical treatment, or uh, there's there's just problems wherever he turns, wherever he looks, and on top of that, he has to deal with the battle between the flesh and the spirit, and the whole thing concerning living according to the will of God in a world that uh, lives contrary to the will of God. It's nothing but difficulty, one step after the other, day after day, as he makes it through, just makes it through 
from one day to the next. And what a loser. What a loser. What, what, uh, you know, the people of the world, they, they look at this individual and, and even if uh, part of the reason he's a loser is because he would not do certain things to get funds that, that other people would have no problem with. Yet, uh, you, you see, this is the way the world looks at individuals. Person A, super rich, has everything. There is your winner. Person B, he just again uh, struggles to pay the the bills and and has all these problems. And there's your loser. And yet, what does the Bible tell us? As God. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man ate well. He, he um, had wonderful suppers. And Lazarus just desired to eat from the crumbs that fell from his table. Well, then that curtain is pulled back after both men die. And we see the rich man is in hell or the grave. And he just wants a drop of cool water. And Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom in heaven. And who won? Who's, who is, who ends up the, the true winner? It, it's sort of like, um, in all sporting events and all games in, in football, baseball, basketball, soccer, there's the game itself that um, takes a period of time to work out. It takes an hour, two hours, three hours. And during the course of the game, you can have someone who is, is losing the game, according to the scoreboard, throughout the entire time. But what matters in, in just about every sporting event that I know of is the final score. What happens at the end, and that's why sometimes they they say concerning a basketball game, you don't have to watch the, the whole game, just pay attention to the last two minutes. Because it's the final score that determines who won. And that's exactly how it is concerning life in this world. It, it's what happens at the end. It, it's why we read in that um, very appropriate psalm uh, in Psalm 73 of a man who is envious at the wicked and he of course if you're envious you're, you're um, going to be uh, discontent you're going to be unhappy but he, he finally realizes the truth of the situation in Psalm 73 he he's feeling um, these very uncomfortable things, the and troubling thoughts. Until verse seventeen, I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they're utterly consumed with terrors. You see, he considered their end. It's 
like this analogy, and I've given this before, where you have that billionaire, and you have everyone in the world, or a great number of people in the world, lusting and envying this man and his life. Oh, I wish, I wish I could be this particular billionaire. He, he has like $50 billion. He has everything imaginable. You, you could not get a better life. I want to be like him. And that's why people play the lottery. They, they want to uh, hit for a hundred million and they, they, they want to be super rich because that's where life is. That's when you can enjoy yourself. That's when you really have something. Yet, all right, here you're, a person is envying this billionaire. And he's young, he has all these things like we mentioned before, beautiful family, has everything, and he's whistling. One day he wakes up out of bed, and he's putting on his tie, so he's lifting his neck up to uh, uh, tighten the tie, uh, to, or to button that top button, and he's walking along as he does it on uh, uh, the second floor of his mansion, and right at the steps, it, it, since his head is lifted up trying to button that button, he doesn't see um, one of his children's toys at the top of the step, and he he just falls over it, it and it's like a little toy truck, and, and so he steps on it, and it, it caused him to lose his footing, and he falls down the steps. And it's a big mansion, so it's a long way down, and he breaks his neck. And, of course, he gets the best medical care, and he's taken to the hospital. But the prognosis is that he uh, will not have very much longer to live. And it, it, it's just terrible. It, it's very bad. Okay, now... Uh, an individual who was envying that man uh, the night before. And, oh, I want to be this person. Now, do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that billionaire who is in the hospital on life support and the doctors are thinking that uh, maybe in a couple of hours he's going to die or the next day he'll die? Do you want to be him? Well, of course not. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to be him now. Why not? He's still a billionaire. He still has all those riches. He he still has the beautiful family and everything else. Yeah, but he's going to die. And when you die, it goes unsaid, but when you die, you lose everything. You see, considering his end, and when his end is very evident and very close at hand, well... Uh, we lose our envy. We lose our desire to be like him. Well, why would I want to be like him? Because he's going to die and have nothing. And you see, that's what he had all along, spiritually. Nothing. Nothing. The rich man, the point of the parable is he had nothing insofar as true riches were concerned. Lazarus had all the true riches. He had eternal life. 
he had the salvation of God, the grace, the mercy, the faith of God, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the gift of eternal life and the gift of a coming new heaven and new earth and of all the glorious, tremendous, bountiful spiritual riches that that entails. He possessed it all. And then the rich man, as Christ gave him voice, just desires a, a touch of that, just a drop of water. Uh, uh, just give me the the gospel water that could provide me just just a little of those great, tremendous spiritual riches forevermore. But not so. No, no, you you had your life of comfort. You had your portion, your inheritance. And and now, uh, Lazarus, he had, he, he didn't have those things in this life. He had difficulties. And God doesn't try to hide that from us. He doesn't try to um, uh, fake us into thinking that we're having, a, a, you know, all, all kinds of uh, wonderful times while we go through trials and afflictions. No, it's grievous. And God um, tells us that directly. Yes, it's grievous. Yes, it's full of trouble. But really, really, uh, the the children of God alive today on the earth were right at the end of the world, whether it be um, for us individually today or tomorrow, or whether it be 17 or 16 years from now in the year 2033, whether it be whatever time, we have these riches in our possession. And really, it is uh, dishonoring to God. It is certainly not glorifying to Him in any way when uh, His people complain and murmur about their difficulties that are um, temporary, their, their difficulties of a present moment, their, their slight afflictions, as, as the Bible says, it's but a light affliction that gives way to a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is like a speck of dust of affliction compared to this enormous weight of glory of eternal life that is soon to come and and yes it's grievous but god says after uh, uh, admitting that in hebrews 12 why don't we go there in hebrews chapter 12 he says in verse 11 now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And think about afterward. Think about their end and your end, my end. Think about things to come. The glory, the the uh, wonder, the beauty, the, the life, the, the tremendous riches to come 
forever and ever to be showered upon the child of God. It, it is close at hand and it is not that far away. And so notice what it says next in verse 12, wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. Gird up the loins of your mind. And if we're feeling sorry for ourselves, if we're moping around day to day, one day to the next, because, well, it's judgment day, and... Uh, oh, oh, woe is me, it's judgment day, there's no more salvation, and it's just uh, a dark time, and I feel dark and depressed and, and sorry for myself. Well, what do we have to be sorry for, really? What does God owe us? What does God have to give us? Uh, what are we due from him? Really, if each one of us think about it, what does God owe us? Does he owe us um, just just the wonderful time on earth? Uh, uh, does God have to give us uh, good days in this world? And, and uh, you know, we, we magnify our present circumstances, and when we do that, we... Um, diminish the things that God has in store for us, the things to come forevermore. Oh, yeah, we, we tend to think, well, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I have eternal rich blessings forever and ever and ever and ever and ever into eternity future. But, but, well, today, uh, I, I don't have that, do I? Today, I have some physical discomfort. I don't have enough money. Uh, my medical's not that good. You, you see, we build uh, the molehill into a mountain, and we make that um, incredibly high mountain a molehill. And, and the Bible tells us, get your thinking right. Gird up the loins of your mind. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop moping and having your hands hang down just uh, you, you can see the picture your your head is lowered your hands are hanging down to your knees and and your your knees are feeble you're barely taking a step and god says lift them up lift them up you and i do not deserve to feel sorry for ourselves we have no cause to feel sorry for ourselves. We are children of the King, children of God, and heirs to the kingdom. We have the most um, glorious future imaginable just ahead, and we ought to live as as though that is true, because it is true for the true believer. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. 
For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.